0: Chapter Sixty three of A Short History of the World by H. G. Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Sixty three European Aggression in Asia and the Rise of Japan. It is difficult to believe that any large number of people really accepted this headlong painting of the map of Africa in European colors as a permanent new settlement of the world's affairs. But it is the duty of the historian to record that it was so accepted there was but a shallow historical background to the european mind in the nineteenth century and no habit of penetrating criticism the quite temporary advantages that the mechanical revolution in the west had given the europeans over the rest of the old world were regarded by people blankly ignorant of such events as the great Mongol conquests, as evidences of a permanent and assured European leadership of mankind. They had no sense of the transferability of science and its fruits. They did not realize that Chinamen and Indians could carry on the work of research as ably as Frenchmen or Englishmen. They believed that there was some innate intellectual drive in the West and some innate indolence and conservatism in the East that assured the Europeans a world predominance for ever. The consequence of this infatuation was that the various European foreign offices set themselves not merely to scramble with the British for the savage and undeveloped regions of the world's surface, but also to carve up the populous and civilized countries of Asia as though these people also were no more than raw material for exploitation. The inwardly precarious but outwardly splendid imperialism of the British ruling class in India, and the extensive and profitable possessions of the Dutch in the East Indies, filled the rival great powers with dreams of similar glories in Persia, in the disintegrating Ottoman Empire, and in further India, China and Japan. In 1898, Germany seized Kiao Chow in China. Britain responded by seizing Wei, Wei and the next year the Russians took possession of Port Arthur. A flame of hatred for the Europeans swept through China. There were massacres of Europeans and Christian converts, and in 1900 an attack upon, and siege of, the European legations in Pekin. A combined force of Europeans made a punitive expedition to Pekin, rescued the legations, and stole an enormous amount of valuable property. The Russians then seized Manchuria, and in 1904 the British invaded Tibet. But now a new power appeared in the struggle of the great powers, Japan. Hitherto Japan had played, but a small part in this history. Her secluded civilization has not contributed very largely to the general shaping of human destinies. She has received much, but she has given little. The Japanese proper are of the Mongolian race. Their civilization, their writing and their literary and artistic traditions are derived from the Chinese. Their history is an interesting and romantic one. They developed a feudal system and a system of chivalry in the earlier centuries of the Christian era, their attacks upon Korea and China are an eastern equivalent of the English wars in France. Japan was first brought into contact with Europe in the 16th century. In 1542, some Portuguese reached it in a Chinese junk, and in 1549, a Jesuit missionary, Francis Javier, began his teaching there. For a time, Japan welcomed European intercourse. And the christian missionaries made a great number of converts a certain william adams became the most trusted european advisor of the japanese and showed them how to build big ships there were voyages in japanese-built ships to india and peru then arose complicated quarrels between the spanish dominicans the portuguese jesuits and the english and dutch protestants each warning the japanese against the political designs of the others. The Jesuits, in a phase of ascendancy, persecuted and insulted the Buddhists with great acrimony. In the end, the Japanese came to the conclusion that the Europeans were an intolerable nuisance, and that Catholic Christianity in particular was a mere cloak for the political dreams of the Pope and the Spanish monarchy, already in possession of the Philippine Islands. There was a great persecution of the Christians, and in 1638 Japan was absolutely closed to Europeans, and remained closed for over 200 years. During these two centuries, the Japanese were as completely cut off from the rest of the world as though they lived upon another planet. It was forbidden to build any ship larger than a mere coasting boat. No Japanese could go abroad and no European enter the country. For two centuries Japan remained outside the main current of history. She lived on in a state of picturesque feudalism, in which about five percent of the population, the samurai or fighting men, and the nobles and their families tyrannized without restraint over the rest of the population. Meanwhile the great world outside went on to wider visions and new powers strange shipping became more frequent passing the japanese headlands sometimes ships were wrecked and sailors brought ashore through the dutch settlement in the island of deshima there one link with the outer universe came warnings that japan was not keeping pace with the power of the western world in eighteen thirty seven a ship sailed into yido bay flying a strange flag of stripes and stars and carrying some Japanese sailors she had picked up far adrift in the Pacific. She was driven off by cannon-shot. This flag presently reappeared on other ships. One in 1849 came to demand the liberation of 18 shipwrecked American sailors. Then, in 1853, came four American warships under Commodore Perry and refused to be driven away. He lay at anchor in Forbidden Waters and sent messages to the two rulers, who at that time shared the control of Japan. In 1854 he returned with ten ships, amazing ships propelled by steam and equipped with big guns, and he made proposals for trade and intercourse that the Japanese had no power to resist. He landed with a guard of 500 men to sign the treaty. Incredulous crowds watched this visitation from the outer world, marching through the streets. Russia, Holland, and Britain followed in the wake of America. A great nobleman whose estates commanded the Straits of Shimonoseki saw fit to fire on foreign vessels, and a bombardment by a fleet of British, French, Dutch, and American warships destroyed his batteries and scattered his swordsmen. Finally, an Allied squadron, 1865, at anchor off Kyoto, imposed a ratification of the treaties which opened Japan to the world. The humiliation of the Japanese by these events was intense. With astonishing energy and intelligence, they set themselves to bring their culture and organization to the level of the European powers. Never in all the history of mankind. Did a nation make such a stride as Japan then did? In 1866, she was a medieval people, a fantastic caricature of the extremist, romantic feudalism. In 1899, hers was a completely westernized people, on a level with the most advanced European powers. She completely dispelled the persuasion that Asia was in some irrecoverable way hopelessly behind Europe. She made all European progress seem sluggish by comparison. We cannot tell here in any detail of Japan's war with China in 1894-95. It demonstrated the extent of her westernization. She had an efficient, westernized army and a small but sound fleet. But the significance of her renaissance, though it was appreciated by Britain and the United States. were already treating her as if she were a european state was not understood by the other great powers engaged in the pursuit of new indias in asia russia was pushing down through manchuria to korea france was already established far to the south in Tonkin and annam germany was prowling hungrily on the lookout for some settlement the three powers combined to prevent japan reaping any fruits from the chinese war she was exhausted by the struggle and they threatened her with war japan submitted for a time and gathered her forces within ten years she was ready for a struggle with russia which marks an epoch in the history of asia the close of the period of european arrogance the russian people were of course innocent and ignorant of this struggle that was being made for them halfway around the world and the wiser russian statesmen were against these foolish thrusts but a gang of financial adventurers including the grand dukes his cousins surrounded the tsar they had gambled deeply in the prospective looting of manchuria and china and they would suffer no withdrawal so there began a transportation of great armies of japanese soldiers across the sea to port arthur and korea and the sending of endless trainloads of russian peasants along the Siberian Railway, to die in those distant battlefields. The Russians, badly led and dishonestly provided, were beaten on sea and land alike. The Russian Baltic fleet sailed round Africa to be utterly destroyed in the Straits of Chushima. A revolutionary movement among the common people of Russia, infuriated by this remote and reasonless slaughter, Obliged the Tsar to end the war in 1905. He returned the southern half of Sakhalin, which had been seized by Russia in 1875, evacuated Manchuria, resigned Korea to Japan. The European invasion of Asia was coming to an end, and the retraction of Europe's tentacles was beginning. End of chapter 63